0: good morning good morning so uh, I know I'm not your
1: usual face up here uh, so no no worries pastor Weston is he's home he's quarantining um, ran into uh, a situation where he came in contact with someone who tested positive and then he ended up getting some symptoms so he's uh, sequestered in his bedroom probably watching uh, something Marvel or Star Wars so anyways let's uh let's let's join together in worship here we go Oh, this worship today, that this will be glorifying to you, that the worship that pours from our hearts will be pleasing to you, Lord. Thank you so much for the things that you provide for us for this time together to gather as a church. Bless this time together and bless this worship Father God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be here and to worship you today. This next song is all about how when you go to the Father, that you don't have to get your life straightened out before you run to Jesus, that you can just come to him and lay it down at his feet. So as we sing this new song today, join along whenever.
0: Carried a bird
1: Us from those burdens and take them upon yourself help us be completely gone of those words in your name
2: oh, Lord. oh your mercy never fails me all my days, I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up, until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God.
3: Father, we glorify you this morning. We give you our worship. And you have been faithful, Lord. We confess it. Every one of us here has a roof over our heads, clothes on our backs, food in our bellies. You have taught us when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all these other things will be added to us. We confess your faithfulness this morning and we rejoice in it, Lord. And we thank you that though we've been in this wilderness a long time, God, we're coming out. It feels like we're getting to the end. It feels like this trial is almost over. God, continue to refine us in it and cause us to lift our eyes and look over Jordan to the freedom that's near. We pray for that. your spirit out on our gathering today we ask it in jesus name amen amen it's great to see you church it feels like we're almost to the end somebody say amen. amen it's like we're getting there we're getting there take a moment say hi to somebody would you make sure everybody feels welcome this morning would you do that Yeah, hey, good morning, everybody, and can we just appreciate the worship team for stepping up in the middle of uh, challenges. Andy, thank you for stepping up. Just found out on Friday night that Pastor Weston came up COVID positive, and so Andy jumped in at the last moment and is serving us this morning. Thank you so much, Andy, for doing that. Really appreciate it. He's fine. Weston's fine. He just says, uh, the only thing he's got is a very slight cough, and he says, all food tastes like burnt plastic for him, so... You know, I said, you'd be blessed in that, my brother, and uh, just carry on. He'll be back next week. He's just going through the quarantine procedure. So uh, we actually uh, lost also uh, Tyler uh, Cash, who's normally a multimedia guy. Uh, he came up positive this week. The two of them were in an extended meeting, so we think that's probably what happened there. He's doing fine, too. Got a very slight cough. We'll be back next week. So good news all the way around. Uh, you know, church, when you think about it, um, we have been incredibly fortunate for a whole year now as a body. We haven't lost anybody. Nobody. We've had a few people get very seriously sick in the early going, but since then, it, it kind of feels this is just Greg talking, and you shouldn't listen when Greg talks. But it kind of feels like we're getting to the end of this. Amen. Feels like it's kind of burning out. Uh, lots of people are getting vaccinated. I know my parents have, Rhonda's parents have. I'm talking to people all the time. But then, the last few weeks, the folks that have called me up to say, "Hey, Pastor Greg, just wanted you to know I came up positive," they've all been just barely sick, and it's over in a couple of days. So I feel like we're getting to the end of that and we can have a giant mask-burning party in the parking lot. Somebody say amen. Uh, you up for that? I'm up for that. But thank you for your patience in the meantime. It's all about one another taking care of each other, and that's why we... We do that. Great to be with you. I, I missed you last week because I was in one of those quarantines. I wasn't sick either, so uh, it's good to be back. I was miserable to be with last Sunday because I couldn't be here, um, but it's good, good to see you again. Hey, a couple of, couple of brief things um, as we go forward. One of the things is I'm excited. We get to have Easter here in about a month. We didn't get to do that last year, and we get to do that, at least in person, and we get to do that this year, so we're thrilled about that. A note about Easter morning um, It is very common. For us to see larger crowds on Easter, uh, you know, the last few years prior to the pandemic, we'd see as many as 1,500 people on Easter, which is a lot. We don't expect that last year. We do expect more. So a little adjustment in our service schedule on Easter morning, just about a month away, first Sunday of of April. uh, We will be doing four services on Easter, and they will be at 8, 9, 10, and eleven. So slightly different schedule. Those of us who are part of this service, the 9.30, we could come at 9 or at 10, and it will still be pretty close to our regular schedule. But 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 and 11. And for those of us who are joining us online, it's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to, to seeing you here with us uh, like we all are. But on that morning, for live stream purposes, our plan is, is just to live stream the 8 and the 10. And, and there's a reason for that. This, this software that we've been using the last couple of months, that that takes away all lags and all buffering and all that's called resi. This software takes a little time to reset between services and we don't have enough time to do all four Easter ones. So on Easter, the online services will be at 8 and at 10 and uh, our in-person services, 8, 9, 10, 11. So good stuff to look forward to. We're excited about being able to have uh, Easter this year. Also, kind of some bad news for us. Uh, You realize that next Sunday... Our evil and nefarious government is going to steal away an hour of our sleep as if they haven't done enough already. Uh, So next Saturday night, just remember Daylight Savings Time. We spring forward. Uh, So I don't know why they make us get up at 2 in the morning to set our clocks forward, but that's how it works next weekend. So uh, be aware of that. schedule will be different next Sunday morning because of, uh, uh, of daylight savings time. So something just to, to notice. Hey, thanks. On a serious note, thanks for everybody's patience and cooperation soldiering through this time. I do think we're getting to the end. You know, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. <laughs> We've only been dealing with this for a year. So we're we're going to make it. We're getting through it. Grab your Bible, if you would, and open it to Isaiah chapter 61 and to Luke's gospel, chapter 15. We're going to be in in both of those places today. And and what we're going to do this morning, friends, is is finish this series that we began uh, with the new year, uh, in which we've been learning how to practically receive that great promise that Jesus makes to us. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And boy, there's a lot of people that fall into that category these days. He says, come to me when you're feeling like that, and I'll give you rest, the kind you need on the inside. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, when the body's tired, we know how to deal with it. When the mind is tired, we know how to deal with that. But when that deepest part of us is tired, then... Then it becomes a supernatural thing, a spiritual thing. And and Jesus says, I'll meet you in that place. I will give you rest for your souls. And so we've been learning how that happens and what that's about. We're going to finish that up this morning. Let, let me begin by asking you this, have you learned yet how to laugh at yourself? Have you you figured out how to do that yet? Um, You know, I hope you have. It's harder when we're younger, but it gets a little easier, generally speaking, as we get older. Learning how to laugh at yourself is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Some of us have that gift. If you haven't yet, let me encourage you to reach for it Everybody knows how to laugh at other people, but learning how to laugh at yourself, that's a, that's a rare and precious thing. I remember a, a few years ago, about four or five years ago, Ron and I were on our biking trip in Europe, and we're riding around, and uh, you know, I, it's my favorite thing in the world. We've been able to do that twice, and I'm just in happy land, and just riding through the countryside and seeing all the sights, these old farmhouses, the pastures, the thousand-year-old churches on the corner, just drinking it all in. When I'm riding, my head's just on a swivel. I'm looking at everything but the road, and... This last time we were riding down through the southeast part of England, just gorgeous pastures and farms and little manor houses and the castle here and there. And and I'm just soaking it all up and I'm talking a blue streak. I'm constantly telling, oh, this happened here and this happened there because I'm such a nerd. And I'm paying attention to everything but what I'm doing. And we came into this valley And because I was talking so much because I wasn't watching what I'm doing, I steered my bike straight into this giant pothole. And before you knew it, I was doing a 360 full gainer in the middle of the road total epic wipeout. I mean, it was a cartoon, okay? That's how bad I went, flipping head over heels. Now, God was incredibly gracious because, uh, amazingly, I still kind of suspect it was a supernatural thing because in that moment, I flipped completely 360, but then I landed in the road on my feet, which I'm not coordinated enough to do, all right? (laughs) But I did. I I landed on my feet, and then kind of like a gymnast with a bad landing, I, I pitched forward into the ditch and landed in a giant patch of brambles, my bike and gear flying all over the road. And I'll never forget looking up from my back in the brambles in the ditch... And seeing my wife laughing harder than she's ever laughed in her life. I mean, she cannot breathe. She's laughing so hard. Her whole face is red. She is just giggling uncontrollably. And, and when she tries to stop herself, just a fresh mob of, she just can't get herself together. She's laughing so hard. And my first thought laying there was, well, hey, love of my life, I'm not sure this is the moment to be laughing that hard. This did hurt, you know, a bit. But then as I laid there, it kind of occurred to me, you know what, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I had to look pretty stupid going head over heels like that. And before you knew it, I was, I was laughing with her a little bit. And to this day, if I just bring that up, she starts giggling again and it can get out of control. But I've also learned to laugh about that moment. Sometimes we get mad when we're laughed at. But sometimes we've learned to laugh with the person who's laughing at us. Church, the ability to laugh at yourself is a sign of health and maturity in your spirit. It means you're growing up in God. It means you know that you don't have anything left to prove because you stand by grace. It means that you know the world doesn't revolve around you. Somebody say amen. It means that you've learned how to forget yourself. And that is a precious gift indeed. One of the great theologians, Christian theologians of the 20th century, Martin Niemöller, said this. He said, if you can laugh at yourself, you're going to be fine. And if you can allow others to laugh with you, well, then you will be great. Then you will become great. But how does that happen? Most people never learn really how to laugh at themselves because they're so busy crying over themselves. I wonder if that's you this morning. If it is, know that God wants to meet you in that place as we finish this series and open His Word together. The ability to laugh at yourself, friends, is not something that you achieve It's not a ladder you climb or or a mountain you summit. Instead, the ability to laugh at yourself is a gift that you receive. And it's a gift that comes from brokenness. Let me say that again. It is a gift that comes through the experience of brokenness. want to introduce somebody to you for just a couple of minutes in a very short video. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. His name is Nick Vujicic. He's a Christian brother who has become one of the great evangelists of the 21st century. He spends his life traveling the globe and sharing the gospel. And he does so from a unique platform. You see, Nick was born without legs and without arms. Imagine what that's like. And yet... He's a married father of four, has a worldwide gospel outreach ministry, has touched the souls of millions. If you haven't met him, let me give you about two minutes of video here. Turn your attention to the screen, and let's get to know Nick a little.
4: I wasn't ready. no arms and no legs, but I'm very thankful that I have my little chicken drumstick here. People freak out when they see me for the first time. It's so cool, I was at a water slide, um, all by myself, everyone obviously at the bottom of the slide is looking up and waiting for other people to come down, and here I come and they're freaking out, they're like, you know, like this, and I'm so tempted to look at myself and go, what happened? You know. times where i sort of looked at my life and thinking well i can't do this and i can't do that and you keep on concentrating on the things that you wish you had or the things that you wish you didn't have and you sort of forget what you do have and there's no point i believe in my life where i wish i had arms, legs, i wish i had arm legs, i wish i had arms, legs, because wishing won't help but what i've seen in life are just a couple key principles and the first thing that i've seen is to be thankful It's hard to be thankful man, I tell you when I was 8 years old, I I sort of summed up my life and thought I'm never going to get married, you know I'm not going to have a job, I'm not going to have a life of purpose. What kind of a husband am am I going to be if I can't even hold my wife's hand? It's a lie to think that you're not good enough, it's a lie to think that you're not worth anything. Oh boy. Woo! It's freezing. I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I love life. You know, so many people come and say, how come you smile so much? And you I, know, Whoa.
3: Nick knows how to laugh at himself. Think of how hard that would have been to learn. And yet he has in a rich and powerful way. He's one of the most inspiring people In my life. And if you don't know his story, you haven't heard him speak, uh, the internet is your friend. Go out there, look it up. You can find him. It's worth your time. But Nick has learned, even with all his challenges, even with all his brokenness, in fact, because of his brokenness he's learned to laugh at himself i saw an interview uh, i think it was abc news that did with him kind of one of those monday morning talk show things and it was beautiful the the person interviewing him said is is it intimidating to speak to millions of people isn't that intimidating and he said yeah i get sweaty palms every time <laughs> you know and at another point in the interview, she said, uh, Nick, I can't imagine that you have any enemies. Do you have any enemies in the world? He said, you, you can't believe there's thousands of people that won't shake my hand. You know, he, he just, he's, he's able to laugh at himself. God wants you to feel that. Rest for your soul feels like the ability to laugh at yourself. And that's this morning what the Lord wants to talk to us about. Remember Jesus' promise. He said, take my yoke upon you, you'll find rest for your soul. We've been learning what his yoke is. The first week we learned that it means listening to Jesus. The first step to taking his yoke on you is to listen to him. Ten minutes a day, we talked about that in the Gospels. And the second week we talked about the fact that you find rest for your souls when you take upon yourself the yoke of serving. Serving other people in Jesus' name will bring you rest for your soul. In the third week, we talked about the fact that we find rest uh, for our souls when we take upon ourselves the yoke of of repentance and confession. When we say, God, I've sinned. God, I've done things wrong. God, I'm coming to you personally with my confession. That in that, we find rest for our souls. And then we learned that we find rest for our souls when we understand that we are meant to be a family, uh, the body of Christ connected to each other, not just consumers at a franchise outpost of Christianity Incorporated, but the family of God gathered into local churches that it is in that connection, in that community that we find rest for our souls. And then the last week we learned that we find rest for our souls in prayer when we get alone with God. Again, just 10 minutes a day. Go into your room, close the door like Jesus taught us and meet with God in an unforced way, in an authentic way. Talk to Him, listen to Him. This morning we're going to finish that journey by learning that rest for our souls comes, friends, when we are humiliated By the gospel. Now, that that, that doesn't sound like something to aspire to, humiliation. And yet, it is the humiliation of the gospel, as we're going to see, that creates rest for your soul. I invited you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61. Let's listen to the prophet speak, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 61. And by the way, understand a a little uh, something extra about this passage. On the first morning that Jesus was asked to speak at church, he had already begun teaching in the, in the temple courts and so on, but the first morning he was in his hometown, was asked to speak at the church in his hometown. This is the passage of Scripture that he chose to preach from. And you can find that story in Luke chapter 4, same passage and kind of the story fleshed out here. So this is the passage Jesus chose to begin his ministry with. And, and listen to what it says. Isaiah chapter 61 beginning with verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's a very rich reference, kind of a technical one. We're going to unpack it in just a second. To proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them beauty for ashes. Boy, there's a rich image beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and, boy, a word for our time, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus said, the sovereign Lord has anointed me to this end. Let me ask you this morning, friends, can you hear God's heart in that passage? He is drawn to the broken. He is drawn to you when you're broken. He is drawn to you in your brokenness, whether it's public or whether it's secret. Listen to the relentless emphasis in Isaiah's prophecy. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to, re, uh, to bind up the brokenhearted The captives, the prisoners, those who mourn, those who grieve. And then he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's easy to think that's just throwaway poetry and sentimentalism, but it's not. It's a direct reference to a reality that God built into Israel when he first created the nation. Something called the year of Jubilee. And here's how it worked. When Israel was first brought into the promised land, everybody was assigned a homestead. Everybody got ground, acreage, a place to 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 raise a family. Everybody was given land. And in Israel's economy, the world's first welfare system was designed. Because in that economy, if something happened to you, whether by your own fault or whether somebody took advantage of you, whether your own ignorance or failure or or whatever it was, or whether someone took advantage of you by knowing the system better, whatever happened, if you lost your land, you only lost it until the next year of the Lord's favor. Because every 49 years, something called the year of Jubilee would come. And in the year of Jubilee, all debts were erased, all all that was owed was was reckoned paid and the land that belonged to you was returned to you no matter how you lost it. That was built into God's earthly kingdom from the very beginning. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim that to you in a far deeper way than Israel ever experienced on earth. Church, the message here from Isaiah, from the Spirit of God through Isaiah is this. God, God is drawn to you when you are broken. He is moved by you when you are broken. You know, I didn't really understand that until I became a parent. That changed my understanding of God in this way when Isaiah was about three years old he was born with an infant asthma he grew out of it but in those early years he was occasionally afflicted by asthma. And one time he he had to be hospitalized he was in the hospital for three days and and I can remember going to the hospital after work to be with him mom was there the whole time and and he's in that oxygen tent and he can't come out and I can't go in and and he would put up his arms and he would cry and he would weep and the tears would come down his face and he so wanted to leave the hospital and I can remember feeling in that moment son I don't think I've ever loved you more than right now. Isaiah says God feels that way about you. In your brokenness. God feels that way about each one of us. The way you feel when your child is crying, is broken, is hurt. I remember a night when Ron and I were utterly broken. You know, it's no secret I've shared the story before. Rhonda and I didn't grow up in church. We didn't grow up believers. We didn't become Christians until after we were married. And so before we were married, we made some mistakes. One of them was that we had an abortion. And at the time when it happened, we just thought of it as a a medical solution to a, a problem that would make things better. But after we became believers and understood what had really happened, we were broken. And I can remember a night in Belfair, Washington in the little mobile home that we lived in while I was in the service. And I can remember that Friday night curled up on the bed with Rhonda as she sobbed brokenly for hours. And I tried to console her even though I was feeling the same pain as we understood for the first time what had really happened there. And church, in moments like that in your life and mine, that's when God draws near to us. He says, I've come to proclaim Freedom to the broken. And church, it's when you know that about him that you begin to experience rest for your souls. He says, I want to give you beauty for ashes. Do you know, I have to tell you that there have been many times over the last 35 years when Rhonda has been able to share her story with someone who was considering making the same mistake. And many, many times, She's been able to help somebody realize what's really going on and to make a different choice. Beauty for ashes. You are never more uh, attractive to God. He is never more drawn to you than when you are broken. And it doesn't matter how the brokenness happens. Some of us do it to ourselves. You know, in Isaiah's passage, he comes to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Those are two different categories. The prisoners are people in jail because of what they've done. They're in jail because they've earned jail. They are prisoners because of their criminality. And God says, I want to come into the prison and lift your darkness. I'm not turned off by you because you're in prison. I'm actually drawn to you. I've come for you. And the captives, that describes those who've had brokenness inflicted on them by someone else. Captives were a term used for slaves. So one kingdom defeats another and they take a bunch of people home as slaves. Those were called captives. Maybe you know what it is to be a captive. I think of a woman who came to my office years ago. Boy, in a pastor's office, you hear some stories. She came to my office years ago. They had just moved to town, and they had left the town they used to live in because their daughter was sexually abused by the youth pastor. Horrible story. But that was just the beginning. As we sat and talked, it came out that her mom, the mom who was in my office, she was sexually abused by her youth pastor. Now her daughter also. And as if it couldn't get worse... She then shared how her mom had been sexually abused by a youth pastor. Imagine trying to hold your faith together when that's happened to three generations of women. Yeah, she was a captive. Jesus says, I've come for you in those moments. When somebody's put brokenness on you, when you've done it to yourself, I think of that thief on the cross, he did it to himself. A life of doing wrong. And yet at the very end of it, the Son of God says, I've come for you. I've come for you, even here and even now. You see, God, church, is drawn to us in our brokenness. Sometimes that brokenness happens for reasons we don't understand. Why was Nick born without arms and legs? Why cancer? Why COVID? Why a lot of things? In those things though, no matter how we got there, Isaiah is telling us that God's desire is for us in those moments. His desire is to give us beauty in place of our ashes. To change our despair to gladness. To bind up the broken heart. No matter how we got there. I remember working in the ER all those years ago. And in the ER, we had a a very direct attitude. If you came to the ER hurt, it didn't matter how you got hurt. You know, working in the emergency room taught me to hate drunkenness with a passion because I see the tragedy that it causes. But it never taught me to say, well, you got this way because of your drunkenness, so move on down the road. Nope, in the ER, we take you no matter how you got hurt. And God says... That's his heart to meet you in your brokenness. You know, I remember a woman, I think I've shared this story before, she was badly intoxicated on a Friday night, wandered out into the middle of Highway 16 and was struck by a pickup on the freeway, 60 miles an hour. She was injured. uh, Broken tibia, broken femur, broken ribs, fractured skull, broken arm. She was a mess. And yet... Because of her lifestyle, when they brought her to the ER, she was fighting us. She was trying to hit us, bite us, kick us, prevent us from helping her. But even that didn't deter us. We held her down. We healed her. We did for her what she didn't think she needed because that's what the ER is about. And in the same way, God says, I meet you in your brokenness. I come to give you beauty for ashes. Now, church, it's important to understand as we kind of move through the middle here that what that sometimes means is that Jesus does things we don't understand. I think of that story in Mark chapter 2 that tells us about an unexpected reaction Jesus has to a moment. The Bible says some men came bringing to him a paralytic, a guy who couldn't use his arms and legs. He had them unlike Nick, but he couldn't use them. And they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. They knew he was a healer. He had been doing that. And so they made an opening in the roof. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat. The paralyzed man was was laying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, they didn't bring the paralyzed man because of his sins. They brought the paralyzed man because of his paralysis. And given Jesus' history, everyone expected in that moment him to do something like say to the man, rise and walk or pull him to his feet or touch him like he did in some cases and, and pray healing over him. That's what they expected to happen. But Jesus gave the man what he needed most. What good is it to have a healthy body if your soul isn't at rest? I knew a man years ago who got drunk one night, and as he drove home, intoxicated, he took the life of a teenager. Can you imagine living with that? Can you imagine trying to live with that? And when people see you, they don't immediately know your brokenness. But you do. Every minute, every second of every waking hour. Yet, Jesus says, I come for that man. I come for him. And he comes to give his soul, the part of him that's dying no matter what his body does, comes to give his soul rest, just like he does with this paralytic. Son, your sins are forgiven. We don't think we need that, but the reality is, church, that the rest for your soul that you crave can only be found in the grace of God. That's in Jesus Christ. It's only found in the grace of God that's in Christ. So what does Jesus say? He says, so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. In other words, so that you can know I can do what you really need, I'm going to do what you see. But the point remains the same. He reaches for what... The, he does the same thing in our lives, the same thing in your life. What you and I need more than anything else is the rest for our souls that comes to us through His grace. Listen, friends, we're into the home stretch now this morning. All of us have secrets. Secret sins, secret shames, secret failures, secret brokenness. And we think we're alone with that brokenness, but we aren't. That's Isaiah's message. That's why Jesus chose that passage. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to what the Bible says, friends. It says, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin. In other words, to be you in that shameful, broken secret. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was taking upon himself. He was becoming your shame. And it is in knowing that that we are humiliated. And it is in being humiliated that we are able to receive his grace. Listen to me. We're almost done this morning. You can't receive rest for your soul until you let Jesus become your sin. He will do it for you in the moment you ask. That'll be a humiliating moment because you will have to say, that's who I am. That's who I am. I don't want to think of myself like that, but that's who I am. Yet in that moment, he becomes sin for us. It's humiliating, friends, please understand, because it's supposed to be. The biggest obstacle to receiving God's grace is our ego, our pride. That's precisely why the gospel is designed to humble us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 remind us of that. When the Bible says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are all equally broken, shamed sinners at the foot of the cross. Yet at the foot of the cross, humiliated, we are given grace and that's where rest for your soul is found. I said we're almost done this morning. Jesus spent most of his earthly time telling stories. (laughs) Most of us wouldn't do that. We would think something else is more needful. But he knew better. He knew that we are emotional as much as we are thinkers, and stories touch the emotions. So he told stories. And probably the greatest one he ever told is found in Luke 15, and that's where we finish this morning. We know it as the parable of the prodigal. And it goes like this. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered everything his father had given him in wild living. You know, when I read the beginning of this story, I think now... At the age of 57, I think of what the father must have been feeling. You know, love is easy when there's just one or two of you, but once you get a family together, and once one family member misbehaves and another family member gets mad, now suddenly love gets harder. Because now you're feeling the disconnect between all of them. We know later in this story that the older brother is going to carry a grudge for years against his younger brother. We don't hear about what's going on with mom during this season, but it's easy to imagine her struggles. And we know that dad is feeling the loss of his older son in his heart, of his younger son in his home. I'm sure there were some tough conversations between mom and dad. Why did you give him his inheritance? And we know that the son, when he ran off to squander all he had been given in wild living, he was looking for something like we all are when we're young. G.K. Chesterton famously said that when a man knocks at the door of a brothel, what he's really looking for is God. And he doesn't know it and he won't find him there, but that's what he's looking for. This young man is looking for something, but he's, he's not going to find it in Vegas, even though that's where he goes. Even though that's what the commercials tell him. Even though that's the lie that friends share with each other as they talk about such things, he, he's not going to find what he's looking for in Vegas. After he had spent everything, the story says there was a severe famine in that whole country. Sooner or later, hard times come. Sooner or later, chickens come home to roost. Seeds that are sown bear fruit. It's always true, and it is in this case. There was a severe famine in that whole country and and the young man began to be in need and so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs, the lowest of all jobs and in a particularly poignant and cutting moment for a young man raised a Jew thinking of pigs as unclean, pork as not something he would ever eat. Now his whole life is spent tending the pigs. The scripture says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's broken. He's broken. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. When he came to his senses, though, The Bible says, Jesus said, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. That's that's the voice of a humiliated man. The voice of a humbled man. And so he got up and went to his father. Look at how he goes. I have sinned. I've sinned against you, Dad. I've sinned against heaven, against the God who made me and gave me everything I've ever enjoyed. I've betrayed you. I've sinned against you. And then he says, imagine saying this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. My childhood is shattered. This is a humiliated young man. He goes back to where he went wrong. Yeah. You know, there's no other way to rest for your soul than to go back to the moment you went wrong and say, I was wrong. There's all sorts of shortcuts the world will sell you. They don't work. They won't give you rest for your soul but going back to the point where you went wrong and saying, you know what? That was wrong. That's how rest happens. And he goes back and and he gets personal with his Father God. Wow. He gets personal with him. That's what we do when we're humiliated. No more game playing. No more messing around. No more pretending. God, I want to get real with you. See, it's that humiliation, friends, that leads to what's coming. He expects his dad to say, hey, I hope you learned something. You made your bed, now you're going to lay in it to a degree. Learn something from it. That's that's what he's expecting. So he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called. Make me a hired man. Just, Just put me on your payroll. I'll take whatever leftover job there is. But that's when... The story changes. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. In his brokenness, in his shame, in his failure, he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Some of us don't think that's how God reacts to us. We think of our shame and our brokenness as creating a barrier between us and Him. But Jesus told this story so we would know that in our brokenness, God runs to us with compassion. And He runs to us personally. He doesn't run to His Son in kind of a generic way. He throws His arms around Him. He kisses Him. He says, My Son... In our humiliation, we discover who he is. And that's where rest for our souls comes from. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He gives his rehearsed speech. He he verbalizes his brokenness. He says, all I've got here is ashes. Father says, I want to give you beauty for your ashes. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. He, he owns him personally just like he wants you to know he owns you. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let me ask you, friends, what do you think the son is feeling now? He's humiliated. He's at the end of himself. But at the end of himself, what's he discovering? The truth about God, who his father really is. And he's never going to forget this moment. From this moment forward, he's going to know something about his father that is unforgettable. And it is going to create rest for his soul just like it does for you when you discover who he is. And I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and telling us stories about the Father. Thank you for coming and revealing to us that in our brokenness, you come for us. You run to us full of compassion, and call us your own. God, help us to understand who you are in your grace, in your love, that we might find rest for our souls. We pray for that this morning. Friends, with our heads bowed and eyes closed right now, I want you to know that God is running towards you. He wants you to to bring your ashes, lay them at his feet. He will give you beauty for them. He wants to throw his arms around your spirit, cover you with kisses, so that you will know that you are his. That's where rest for your soul is found. This humiliation of owning your shame opens your hands your heart for the gift of his grace. And he offers it to you right now, right here, in this moment. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, send us from here today at rest in our souls because of who you are. Because we know you as Father, because you call us your daughters and your sons. We pray for that this morning. Send us from here with our souls at rest because of who you are. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? In case you couldn't tell, I've been wanting to preach that for two weeks. I'm just <laughs> busting out of my heart because that's, that's where this whole circle of rest for our souls finishes. So bring your brokenness to the Father. Maybe you need to tonight, like we did that night in our mobile home in Belfair, you need to curl up with God and let it out. He'll meet you in it because He loves you. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love Him. Have a great afternoon, church.